Today in the Attorney Career Advice Podcast with Harrison Barnes. I don't know how much that's going to if you work for them. Everyone that's ever worked for them, why the firm would pin losing a practice. Here. Spend, I don't know what it is. They spend time with family. It's this next question. My previous position, I experienced an un- I faced expected departure because the firm had no more work available. However, the challenges of encountered on your job posts that experience seem to be compounded by the reputation of the law firm. How do I navigate discussions about the specific situation during interviews to ensure potential employers understand the circumstances and values that bring to their team? Let me make sure I understand this. We're going to know work. However, the challenges. Okay. So what I'm not sure that what you're saying is that the law firm had a good reputation or a bad reputation. I don't know if it's, so let's, let me talk about this, answer this question a couple of different ways. So if the firm had a bad reputation, then, then I think if everyone knows that, then I don't know how much that's going to hurt you by talking about. I don't think it will, but I think the firm doesn't have any work then I don't know why the bad reputation, you know, the good reputation, government has a good reputation, then, then I'd be thinking, and people think highly of it, uh, which I think is probably more likely the question, that, that you just need to be very careful. Talking about not having work is always dangerous because some people on the firm may have had work, but if there is no work available and something happens, it's okay to bring that up, especially if there really was no more work for you or anybody else, that's okay. But you just need to be very careful about how you address that because it can be very dangerous to act like you're the to, to say there's no more work if it's a large law firm. Your job in every law firm is to do what you can to make sure that you're able to uh, generate as, to get work. I, I think I talked about that in a bunch of different ways. But if you don't have work, it's a sign that you're not necessarily people don't you're not getting the right people to like you that you're not networking correctly and all those sorts of things. You're not um, creating work and all those things are very important in any law firm because people want uh, people that are able to do the work. Okay. Okay. This is actually another good question. I'm glad I got to it. I don't know why I didn't see this one earlier. Yeah, the toxiness, mooding, and short-temperedness of law partners are virtually daily men these days. That is to say, oftentimes the associate is truly not the problem and if we're jumping across numerous firms, whereby someone who does generally work well with others, laid back and easygoing, so manages to draw the IR partners who as a result stop giving work, resulting in the associate's departure. Sadly, alleged dissatisfaction with work is often subjective. I one firm thinks the work is great, another thinks the work is poor, and they're related to the above partner temperament. I an associate delivers 90% valuable substantive case-winning work in briefs, but then typo errors in very preliminary drafts, and then you're suddenly permanently blacklisted from all permanent work. It's actually a good question. Totally unreasonable, yet have no choice but to move or eventually get let go. How do you explain outcomes of this nature? Okay, so these are all, this is a very good question that, that I think that is important to answer, important to break down different questions and different issues and, and talk about. So there are, in every firm, there, I think, especially in large firms, toxic partners, partners, talk about that, there are subjective work and then work evaluations, and then there are typos and so forth. Okay, so I'm going to talk about each of these things, and I'll 
tell you what's going on. But I want to start with why these subtypos and very preliminary drafts in your pet black coaster from all future work. I want to talk a little bit about that because this is this is actually very important. So, and this is something that takes a long time uh, for especially young attorneys to understand uh, typos and work errors, etc. So you can go and this person who's a litigator basically saying, hey. Like I really think through things that are going to win cases and briefs. And yet when there's typos and things in my work, I'm permanently blacklisted and badly of by people I'm working with. Okay. So there's a lot to this question. There's a lot going on. And it's, this is very important for everyone here to understand. So typos and errors in work, like one of the things they show, and I'm just going to write these down real quickly. And so when there's typos in your work, and I went through a lot, like when I was a working for a judge and everything, I never understood, like, why do people care so much about typos and these things that aren't perfect? And what is the problem? Why is everyone so concerned about that? The reason is because if you're making typos and so forth in your work, that the way that clients think, the way the judges think, the way that the way that in the partners reading this, they think that if you're making all these typos and so forth, that and you can't put things down on paper properly, then how can they possibly be able to criticize? How, how can they trust your thought processes? Is this really well thought out? Is this point that this person's making correct? Because if what I'm seeing is a bunch of typos and errors, then probably this hasn't really well thought out. And, and so this, what I'm reading, I can't trust. Is this case properly? Is this case actually current? Is it is or has it been overruled? Is this a point the person's making actually true? Does this is this what this and this means? Are what they saying about this incident have they really thoroughly investigated, or are they leaving facts that I shouldn't? So all these things, when you start making typos and errors in your work, this is what uh, people think. If the client sees it, the client also thinks this makes me look. This makes me look bad. This makes me makes me look bad. Meaning, I my work's not polished. It's why is this person showing me this work that's polished and perfect? How the, how well they thought it out? This is what the client sees. Partner thinks partner thinks it's it is disrespectful to show them work like this because partner. So you understand this. Partner is the client. So anytime you're an associate and you're working for a partner, the partner is the client. So if you show something to the partner that's got typos and errors in it, the partner is your client and the partner will not like that. The partner wants to feel like what you're doing for them is perfect. Like you've thought through it, like it's very good. And, and if the partner thinks that, then the partner is going to trust your thought process. Is the same sort of thing. So if you're making these sorts of errors, it's a big deal because you're just basically, you're calling into your, your thought process is you're, you're not pr presenting something that shows the respect doing something correctly. So you see when I go through these, like I always, always fix these things and I'm not doing this because I'm a mean guy, but then you could also probably run this through Grammarly and stuff and then you'd see different results. But this is what you um, need to do. Every piece of work that you turn into a partner uh, needs to be perfect. And you're blacklisted because um, they don't trust your thought process. They don't think that they think your work's rust. They think you're not spending the time doing it. So you have to be um, very careful uh, about this stuff. And I, 
I don't know how to say it. I, I used to think it was just crap. I, like you, I just thought it was crap, but it's actually, it's very important. I remember I was working for this federal judge and I wrote this published opinion that had to go out to, back then they would send it in a, it's so long ago, but they would send a distra, like a disc, and print a copy. This, this thing was going to be printed like the Federal Digest or whatever. And, and we proofed it and we proofed it again. There was a small typo and and it wasn't even very noticeable one. I don't think he, but he was extremely upset, upset for days about this and because that's how that's made him look bad. He looked like a careful judge. It was his public. So you just need to be very careful about all this stuff and typos and errors are very important because then it calls into question at your thought process. And I don't know, this could change the course of your career if you understand, but you have to be um, as, as, per, as careful uh, as possible. And, and you have to understand why this is. And, and again, uh, it's important. Now, one partner, one firm thinks the work is great. Another thinks the same work is poor. Often it's related to the temperament. Do you know the secrets to getting your dream legal job? We do. And one of the best things you can do is apply to jobs that fly under the radar. Applying to openings with very little competition means you stand a much higher chance of getting hired. But how do you find openings like that? For starters, you're not gonna find them on major job boards because these jobs are usually only advertised on companies' websites and in small regional publications. That is why we created Law Crossing, the most comprehensive database of legal jobs in the world. We have a team of people constantly working to find every single legal job out there. Unlike other job boards, which only list jobs that companies pay to post, we include every legal job we can find in order to maximize your chances of finding a job. So what are you waiting for? Head over to www.lawcrossing.com to find your dream legal job today. The temperament is actually, this is actually very good. Now I'm taking your side. So the temperament of the partner, temperament is, is of temperament partners. This is a very temper, temperance, I've been wrong, temperament of partners. So there are firms where there are people that have a really bad the partners that just are very toxic. There are people that, that if you work for them, everyone that's ever worked for them ends up quitting. Everyone that's ever working for, worked for them has a bad, bad experience and the work is not that they have a bad experience and they leave. There's just, there, there are attorneys like that. And, and if you work for those sorts of attorneys, you can have a very difficult time in your career and they can, frankly, they can make you out of you out of that firm. So you have a couple of choices. One is you can work for those people and risk that. Or two, you can avoid working for them. Or three, that you can try to figure out how to get along with them. So typically when there's a, a someone that's toxic and a partner that's toxic, they're definitely they're typically of a two of a few types. Most likely, toxic partners are often, not often, but usually, partners are partners without power. I can't even spell partners. Partners are without power, meaning they don't have business. They're, they're dependent on others. They're, they don't know where their work's coming from, all that sort of thing. So those are people typically you want to avoid. Any firm, you want to work partners that have the most business that, and that sort of thing. So typically, partners without power, and because of that, they're insecure, and then they kick that out on 
people like that. And there are, I've worked in firms where there are people that are absolutely impossible to work with and, and that you have to avoid like the plague. And that's just how it is. So talk to part. And so if you do, if you do work for them, then you do everything you possibly can uh, to please them. You need to make sure you uh, document things that you're giving them what they need and you do the best job you possibly can. So that's toxic partners with power. And then, and then if you do work for people that are going to be very difficult, then you need to try to get out of work with them as quickly as possible. But yeah, so sometimes people end up with firms, like you're saying, with those types of people, you need to avoid them. But the biggest thing is I would say is that you need to, you need to basically do the best work you possibly can. And, and if you are making mistakes, they're, you just need to make sure that doesn't become a theme in what you do, because that was just, that's something that you can't have happen. Or I'm not trying to whatever issues you're facing, because I think these are very important, but you need to understand that people will often stop giving you work because they don't like working with you. So you need to make sure that people like working with you. You need to do extra things for them to make you see that you have details. There, when I was working for partners, I would do things like, just to, to make them really like me, if I was giving them something that was written, I would take a, I would do, show like a, as much attention to details as I possibly could. So I would do things like I would, and this is just things that I saw happening and in, in with, often with the best attorneys is I might write a memo, but then I would attach cases beneath it and I would highlight them and then I might even um, if I was giving them something that was like four or five pages and I might even put like a post-it note like to and with a paper clip over it or something just to make sure just little things like that and putting things on chairs and just being nice to people and making them feel respected and and many times when people are mean to you or they come after you for some reason they feel disrespected or they feel like you uh, don't think highly of them and so they come at you and they do things like that I just I guess my point to you would be that if you're having issues with people, it may be because they they feel like they're being disrespected. And so you need to be very careful. Okay. Can I say that I want to relocate to my home state because of my ailing father? I do not want potential employers to leave again after he dies. I was raised in a state and spent the majority of life there with the exception past nine years. Yeah, absolutely. You say you want to relocate, but you basically say, I want to, re you don't say ailing father. Basically, tell the law firm I'm from here. I want to come home, and you don't have to say it's because your father, because you don't want them to think that you're going to leave again. But yeah, law firms love it if you're relocating to be closer to family and where you grew up. Again, like these are questions other people ask. They're asking, "Can you do the job? Will you do the job long term? Can you be managed?" So yes, if you are relocating home, yes, you're probably going to stay. So yes, that's great. Yes, the firm loves it. And do you want the job? Yes, you're relocating home. Relocating home. So they like that. And then, do we like you? Yes, we like people from our town. Yes, we love people um, from our town. Love people that like people wanting to come to our town, I mean, whatever. People coming. So it's actually, if you ever are trying to, can be managed? Yes, work the same place nine years. I don't know if that's so. Work in the, in a firm or whatever nine years. So yeah, law firms love this stuff. So this is good. You don't have to say that you're going to leave after he dies. You just say I'm relocating because I want to be home and closer to my family. So that's actually very helpful. 
It's great. You do not answer my question. Non-firm support and client development. This question references the firms. Not providing any budget to fund memberships and networking organizations like Rotary. Not allowing working bees to propose new clients to the firm, whether in or outside the working bees practice areas. Requiring a partner or more senior associate, usual partner or other white man, to initiate discussions with a potential client. Let me just actually put this. This is really cool. This person laid this out. So I think you see here. His name's Karen. Thank you, Karen. Let's see here. Give me the last name. This is actually a good question. Okay, not providing budget to fund membership and organizations. I'm sorry, not answer my question about client de- support development. The question references affirms A, not providing any budget to fund membership and network organizations like Rotary. B, not allowing worker bees to propose new clients to the firm, whether in or outside the workers' peace practice areas. C, requiring a more senior associate, usually a partner or a white man or other white man, to initiate discussions with a potential client regarding the potential client to become a new client in the firm. Or D, not providing the flexibility and work hours to permit worker bees to attend to networking or trade associations or even bar association meetings. Come on. Okay, so yeah, this is these are good points, and I'm not so so the client not providing a budget to fund membership and network organizations like Rotary. I'm sorry, but there's ways to get clients that don't involve those sorts of things. So in most law firms, by the way, first law firm I worked at. People would just cold call potential clients. Uh, they cold call people that were sued or that sort of thing. So just because the client's not providing a budget for this is not an excuse not to get business. You can't look at one because the client's not providing a budget for this as a way to not get business. That's that you have to find other ways. How do people get business? Sometimes they find people that get sued a lot and they go meet with them and talk to them and be their friend or they they clients in all sorts of different ways. No, um, just because you don't have a budget for that does not mean that's the only way uh, to get business. But not allowing worker bees to propose new clients to the firm, whether in or outside the project areas. Uh, that may be true, but I'm not trying. Law firms need business to survive. So why wouldn't they like that? I don't know why they would do it or not, but Law firms need business to survive. If they're not allowing this, then I don't know why they wouldn't want new business. But if that's the case, yeah, if they're just saying, we don't want any business, then yeah, that's not good and you should leave. But I don't know why a law firm would do that, but maybe they would. Recurring a partner, more senior associate or other white man to initiate discussion with potential client regarding. Yeah, so that's how it works. So if you're an associate and you want to bring in a new client, the law firm needs to have, you typically, if you're an associate, you're going to need a partner who's sponsoring the relationship. And the partner sponsoring the relationship is the one that's in charge of billing. They're in charge of making sure the work's done a certain way. They're in charge of all this stuff. So you can't just consider yourself responsible for all these things. You can't, you can't set a budget for the issue. You can't uh, be responsible for billing. You can't be responsible for collections. You can't be responsible for making sure the work's done in a certain way. That's just um, someone at a higher level needs to be able to do. And you're not in that position. And then not providing the flexibility of work hours to permit worker bees to attend networking or trade. So she's the bar business. Okay. So the example I gave earlier, people that do this, you either do it or you don't. So you go to work from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. and then you leave and you go out and develop business until 11 or 12 p.m. Every partner in a law firm that has become successful and done well 
always is going out and spending their free time. They're going out to dinners numerous nights a week. They're doing all these things to form relationships with people. And that's what you need to do. You can't expect the law firm to allow you to take time off work. You need to do it on your own. That's your job. So you do that and, and that's what you do as an associate. So you can't allow, you can't expect the firm to, to, to you can't make reasons for not doing this stuff. I'm not trying to be rude, but this particular question is basically making other people responsible for your success. You can't, you have to do all this on your own. You have to find a way to do it because if you don't, then you're not going to have the sort of career you want. You can't, you have to do all this stuff on your own. You can't allow others to be responsible for your success or lack of it. Now you can certainly move firms if you want to find someone that's going to fund membership and things or give you time off of work to develop clients. But I just, I don't think that's the way to think about it. I think you have to think about making something happen, regardless of what someone spoke there, regardless of, because people that are going to get business are going to have, you, you can't, you're not going to have excuses or alibi. They're just going to do it. I graduated from law school in the last two years and I've lost two positions. The first was a small law firm that eliminated my practice here, but tried to pin it on me. Okay. I joined a branch office of a larger firm, but now again, I've lost my position. I worked very hard in my last position, sometimes over 230 hours a month, but found it hard to mesh with a branch office managing attorney. She fired me almost on the spot on the first occasion she could accuse me of a mistake. Now I'm still earning my career and already have been at several firms, which I not leave in great terms. What can I do to talk about these experiences and market myself for a new job and future interviews? Okay, let me just see. What can I do to talk about this? Okay, so it sounds like this person or you've had difficulty I'm trying to get these jobs lined out. Firm eliminated your practice here and tried to pin it on me. Doing that with so a large branch office and I lost my position. I worked very hard. Okay, now I'm still early in my career and I've already been in several firms. Okay, so the first thing to understand that I think a lot of people here have been having an First of all, I want to say that I think that anyone that spending time in these webinars can change your career just because you're learning about things that that I know have have answers to because I've seen it so many times. And and this is you know, these are very good questions and and knowing how to respond to these sorts of issues are, are things that I mean it's just very smart to spend time in these webinars and, and these questions. I'm very impressed that everyone it's very good that you're learning all this stuff. But this person said, I graduated from law school and have lost two positions. The firm eliminated your practice here and tried to pin it on me. And then this other person is saying, fired, hard to mesh with the office managing attorney. Okay. And she fired you. Okay. So the first thing about the, I don't know why the firm would pin losing a practice here on a junior attorney. Maybe they did, um, but I just, that just seems like a very difficult thing to. To, to stomach, I don't know how it, maybe, I don't know, but, and then it sounds like you were not getting along with the managing attorney of the office and fired you when you made a mistake. Do you want to grow your legal career? A lateral move might be the right choice to get you on track for your career goals. Working with a legal placement firm like BCG Attorney Search can open doors for you and help you live the life you dream of. If you're looking for a new legal job, send us your resume so we can help. Visit www.bcgsearch.com and click on Submit Resume 
to be paired with one of our legal placement professionals who will work tirelessly on your behalf to get you your dream legal job. Submit your resume to www.bcgsearch.com to get started today. So the first thing is everyone, everyone, like this person earlier said they were fired by a bunch of places for making mistakes. And this person is saying uh, they were fired for making mistakes. But think about it this way. Like if someone likes you, if someone likes you, if someone likes you, likes you, they are not going to fire you. They are not going to fire you for a mistake, right? They're not going to. And you wouldn't either fire you for a smallest. So, and this, this is, this is a question. This is coming up on every single call, every single webinar. People are getting, having questions about, I got fired for a small mistake. I got fired for a small mistake. I got fired for a small mistake. So yeah, so these mistakes sometimes are a big deal and people don't like, but in reality, if someone likes you, if you like someone, and they made a small mistake. So you think you had a, I don't know, you had a someone working for you, taking care of your child and you liked them and they were, you were part of your family and they invited them over for dinner and you got them presents at Christmas and, and that sort of thing. Like everything, you were very nice to the person and they got you presents and did all these nice things for you. I'm just saying they're someone and they work for you for a year and you really liked them and you talk, they talked, I don't know, just think about this. And then, and then they did something dumb. Like they left your door open and you know, the dog got away because they forgot to lock a door. And then that it took them two days to find the dog when they found the dog. They're not going to get fired, even though that's a bad mistake. If they're really close to the people like them, you, you wouldn't fire them. You wouldn't say, oh, you're fired. Even though this person, you like them so much, you wouldn't fire them. So why would someone fire you for a small mistake? The only reason you get fired for a small mistake is if for some reason someone doesn't like you. So if someone doesn't like you, then and you make someone mad or you don't make them comfortable or you make them feel a certain way, then they're going to fire you. So you have to be very careful. Like, why would someone fire you? The only reason they're going to fire you uh, for a mistake is if you, if for some reason that you're not close to them. Now, they may be crazy and fire you, but your job is to is an attorney with a client, the partners and other people working for you. Your job is generally you want to connect with people, if you can, with people and make them like you. This particular thing that this person is saying is, I really think a lot about this. And I was thinking about this today, earlier today, because I've just seen this so much. I've seen people, if someone doesn't like them or they or they make a small mistake, they get fired earlier in their career, and it becomes this traumatic thing where they're no longer practicing law. And this happens to so many people. It's tons of people. I see it all the time. When I say it, I see it all the time, I see it every every day. Resumes and cover letters and things that people are writing to me. So this is a big deal and, and happening an awful lot and happening to a lot of people. What do you do to prevent, uh, to 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 guard against this, what do you do to protect your career to make sure that these small errors and things don't help you? But you do whatever you can to get along with people and you learn from your mistakes. But the other thing that shocks me, and the, the thing that's interesting is I used to hire recruiters. Um, this is years ago, but the recruiters that I hired, I would be talking to people on the phone all day about jobs and things. And, and they would, they would basically, pe people that lost their jobs for these exact sort of reasons, and I would hire them because uh, I knew that they would 
probably have a very difficult time getting another job and I've given them my identity working with other attorneys from you know, big firms or working in the recruiting firm. But, but it just happened. These people never became lawyers again. They never practiced law and, and, and they probably should have continued. So what is the point of all this? The point that's really important to understand is that if you are, if you are 20, 27 or what, 28 years old, when all this stuff happens, when you have a when you have a rocky start, you lose a few jobs. Start, sorry, I don't know. Well, think about how old is Biden? I don't know. Biden. How old is people? You have you have sixty plus years left. Sixty plus years left in your career. So think about this. Sixty years left in your career. Come on, think about this. So if you have sixty years left in your career, and you're twenty seven or twenty eight. And you get fired from a couple of jobs because of typos and not getting along with people. And you have a long time to, to fix that. If you fix it in 27 years, one other lifetime, you're going to be 54 when you, when you fix it. Just think you have in, a, in a one lifetime, you'll be 54 and you'll be 54. Do you think you can fix it in one lifetime? When you're 54, You'll still have over thirty years left in your career. No, this is this is crazy. You have if you're having all these issues in your career early on, the dumbest thing you can possibly do is to, to quit your to or to give up and think your life is over because you made some mistakes at the age of 27, 20. There are attorneys that I've placed personally in their eighties that have had lots of business and been very active. So. No, you should not give up because your career is off to an Iraqi start. You should fix it. If you went to law school and you want to be an attorney and you're, you, know, you can learn lessons from all this. Some of the most successful lawyers I know started out working for their families as attorneys. Then they went to work at some random attorney doing you know, corporate law, like for just dumb type of corporate law. Then after that, they did something for... And then they eventually started these firms are hugely successful. So there's nothing wrong with having learning lessons early in your career. Everyone does. You just don't worry about if something bad happens to you the first five years of your career, you just keep making mistakes over and over again. You fix them and become a better attorney and learn from your experience. You don't, the idea is you don't give up and, and you don't ever want to give up. So you, you just, you, give up. If you give up, you're making a huge mistake and, and no one should give up. If you're 65 years old and still making mistakes, and you probably should give up. I've seen people whose careers have turned around uh, very late in life, in their 50s or whatever. You just need to be careful. You can't let this stuff find you. You need to define yourself based on other stuff. You're getting fired uh, from a prior position. Prevent me from getting barred in other states, even if fired in unfair terms of supervising just like nothing ethical? No, of course not. No, you're not gonna. You're not ever gonna get fired because I could bar because you fired. Listen, I think I said this earlier. Everyone, most attorneys get fired. Some of them get fired five or six times. It doesn't matter. You get fired ten times. If you get fired, that's not something that you should allow to define your career. You should not worry about it. You should just move on. Everyone, most people get fired. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. You're just learning lessons. No one should worry about getting fired at any point in your career. It doesn't, it's just something to worry about. 
You shouldn't. Let me just say. Okay. So I think those are about all the questions that people had today. A lot of these questions, I'm just looking at, I think I've answered them all. Oh, there's one more I'll answer and then to her. I'm just making sure I answer them all. You may answer it. Okay, when an attorney says he left big law because he's not like the politics, does it actually mean not get along with others? No, of course not. So there are politics in certain big firms, like the politics of having to please certain people, the politics of having to be on the right side of things. And you have to be able to navigate those politics. I was, I remember there was one firm that, that I interviewed with. Someone wasn't very nice to me in the interview and I didn't go to work there. And then the person that had gotten the interview there came back and said, this person is now on the wrong side of the political spectrum of this firm. And then the person eventually lost her job. She should come interview here or whatever. But uh, the point is that the politics and firms are, are what they are. And some people don't like them. And there's no reason um, to be in a big law firm if you don't like the politics. It's just you need to be able to understand it in some cases to do well. So there's no reason to really worry about it. If you don't like it, it's perfectly fine. People leave because they don't like the politics. Okay, next question. Jim. I think this is the last one. There's a specific phrase or language choice that I should avoid when explaining the circumstances of my departure from a law firm to ensure I come across as constructive rather than defensive. No, I don't think there's certain phrases. I think uh, the best way to handle it is just to talk about it in the terms that I've covered in the webinar, which means uh, trying to get better work or trying to move up in terms of the what type of uh, work I'm doing or moving cities and things. Uh, but I, I think you have to make sure that you come across and you make a positive argument for yourself. Okay. All right. I think that's all the questions. I certainly appreciate everyone being on this webinar today. I think that learning about this stuff really can change the direction of your career and, and make you do a lot. I'm very surprised about how many words, uh, how many questions there were. So this is great. I think over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to start focusing on different things. One week I'll do interviews, next will culture. So there's definitely a lot of material uh, that I want to cover with everyone for the next couple of weeks. Uh, so that'll be good. And then just a reminder, it's almost December and then Every quarter, we do like a resume and cover letter review. So that'll be in about the next month and beginning of the year. So that's exciting. One other thing I also wanted to bring up, if you're looking for jobs, this is actually one of the best times of year to look for jobs. The reason is that no one else is looking for jobs. So our resumes always slow down. People submitting their resumes always slows down this time of year. People applying to jobs also slows down this time of year. And it's the reason it's such a good time to get a job is because most, everybody's still working. You're the only person applying for positions. Everyone else is just taking it easy. So you have a much better chance of getting a job uh, this time of year. The other thing that's fun about getting a job this time of year is that it's actually a much better time to get a job because people are just nicer. They're in better because they've spent, I don't know what it is. They've spent time with family, or, but people aren't typically, maybe they're out drinking. And, I don't know, but the point is that people are just... It, you, the number of people, the a number of, so, so typically if someone goes out in an interview, they might have a 25 to 100% chance of getting a job, depending on the firm. Uh, when you're interviewing this time of year, I think people, the odds are much better and um, applications tend to get, have a better close rate in terms of getting interviews because no one else is applying for jobs. Everyone, it's crazy at like our company, like even this time of year, like the number of applications is down about four times. And it's like that every year like for people. So it's a good time to apply for jobs. Again, thank you everybody for uh, being on the call and uh, we'll uh, see everyone next week. Thanks. 
That's all the time we have for this edition of the show. If you are an attorney looking for a change, head on to bcgsearch.com.